Shut up and sit down. What's up, guys? Welcome to episode 94 of the Quiet Part Loud podcast. I'm your host, Daryl. It is good to be back with you. It's Wednesday evening, as we normally do. This will be out with you guys on Thursday morning, but thanks for tuning in. Um, Also, thank you for the uh, increase in activity over the past week or two. We've actually seen a few spikes happen in what's, what's coming uh what's coming becoming known is that the back catalog has a bit of a a bit of a long tail um goes back about 10 episodes which is great uh so hopefully starting to develop some traction here and uh and who knows we're just going to keep going but it's great to be here it's great to be back with you um and i hope everybody's doing great it's been really shit weather in london but never mind we're not going to be talking about the rain uh, i've got a lot more to talk about than that. Uh, firstly, for anybody that's a first-time listener, uh, you can get us on Spotify, SoundCloud, and iTunes. So in case any of those services are down, you found us via another one. There's other options for you guys, and you can always tune into our Twitter uh, as well, which is at QuietPartLoud. And we're much more active on that these days uh, since we've been barred from Facebook. Uh, it's been over a month since I've been off Facebook and I don't miss it at all. You know, it's one of those things you wonder, is is this going to make any impact? And we talked about it before, like, will it make an impact on my life? And, you know, will I miss it? And absolutely not. I don't feel one way or the other about it because I don't really use it or get sucked into it in a way that a lot of people do. Um, but yeah, I don't miss seeing any of the updates from any of the people ever. <laughs> I don't miss seeing the same recycled articles every single day that skew just towards articles I had already read in the past, which is Facebook's model. And it was just a complete zero. And I was on there for 10 years. So it's it's ins- it's actually quite insane to break that habit. If you think about it, if you break a habit that you've been consistently doing every day for 10 years, your life actually would probably change dramatically in a lot of ways, uh, depending on you know what habit was dropped. But Maybe I'm a little bit happier. I'm definitely no sadder. I'm definitely not in a worse mood um, other than, you know, stress factors that had nothing to do with Facebook in the first place. But I think from a social media perspective, what I am finding out is that Twitter is equally, if not more toxic than Facebook is. But that's sort of our last semblance of distribution on a mass scale and where you can get involved in a conversation that everybody else is involved in. So hopefully we won't get booted off of there, but we've got multiple accounts and uh, we'll we'll take lessons from anything that happens that might get us barred or banned. But, you know, the point is there is a sweeping effort to censor speech on Twitter, just like there is on YouTube and Facebook. And... I'm kind of, I'm not staying out of the conversation. I'm just framing it differently, I think. So um, so hopefully, 
you know, that will be a continued platform of distribution and commentary. We'll see. We'll see what happens. But it, it is it is quite funny that we started out on the social media tip because there was recently uh, a video. I think we might have mentioned this before. I can't remember if we have. Apologies. Um, there's a video of Nancy Pelosi. Nancy Pelosi is the most powerful Democrat in America next to Chuck Schumer. Uh, she controls the the House. Anyways, she's, you know, she's an older lady and uh, she speaks a little slow sometimes, but, you know, she's smart as a whip and probably corrupt as anything, probably bent as a letter S, but, uh, but never mind. She is one of our kind of semblances of hope in the Trump era to get him, you know, out of that office and, and, and I have, I have some confidence in, in her ability. So, uh, anyways, somebody made a video of her. And it made her seem like she was drunk, slurring her words. They like slowed it down a little bit, right? And this guy posted it on Facebook and it went viral as fuck, right? If you haven't seen it, check it out. Um, but effectively, it got tracked that it got tracked back to like one person who was the source. And this website, I can't remember the name of the website, but this website found out. And they asked Facebook for his details. And Facebook gave them to them, to the website. And the website doxed him. And if you don't know what doxing is, it's a practice on the internet where you give public, uh, you give private information away to like a, you basically post it on Facebook or you post it on Twitter or whatever, right? You post it on a social forum. You give personal information, address, you know, details about them that's identifiable. It's called PII personally identifiable information, right? Massive protection, massive privacy issue around PII. A lot of that is why GDPR came into play, so on and so forth. Um, but Facebook handed it over to this website and they doxed him. So they put out, and he was like, listen, dude, I didn't even make the video. Like, so I shared it. Like somebody else made the video. I just posted it. And this guy got all kinds of harassment and it just, again, it just leads me down this road because there's news today about Facebook releasing a new app, right? Surprise, surprise. Guess what this app is? I'll tell you in just a second. Just a bit outside. It's called Study. Huh. Right? And that's an app's name. So the new Facebook app will pay users to collect data on how they use rival apps. Now, this is hilarious to me because they say they're gonna pay people to be involved in the app. Like if you share your data, it's a revenue stream. But like they, they did this before. I think they collected kids data um, and they paid them like 20 bucks a month, All right? So it's like you give us everything that you do on the internet so we can track you and serve ads to you and we'll give you 20, we'll give you 20 back every, uh, every month. We're going to make probably about a billion every month, but we'll give you a 20 back. Oh, and also this is just a way for us to act like we give a shit about your privacy and about protecting your data because all the information we're asking for, we've already got. We have cookies on every single user. We follow them around the internet with those, with those and third party cookies uh, we, we know everything about you that happens on all of our platforms already, 
including your private messages and all of your WhatsApp encrypted quote unquote messages as well. But this new app is called Study and it's going to pay users for their data following a series of scandals is what the article says about how it acquires and handles user data. Well, like I just said to you, they've already got it. This is just a nice PR move to say, hey, 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 guys, go make me an app real quick and pretend it does this. And, or in fact, make it do this. So for the idiots that take the 20 bucks a month, we'll get everything on them and we'll just serve them like, you know, McDonald's ads and shit, whatever they do. But this is a great way to look like we give a shit because we've already got all the data anyways. But it's just, I mean, it's just so obvious it's so obvious facebook said it does not collect user ids passwords or any participants content such as photos videos or messages but you could enable it if you want to get the fuck out of here like who do you think we are it's uh yeah they so they don't know how many people they don't know how much people are gonna get paid for like giving up their their data all their private information about what they do on the internet but if it's anything to go by based on the old study that's how much they're gonna make 15 pound 25 for those of you living that are interested that live in the uk it's just over 15 quid so it's 20 bucks a month and that's just based on like what the last one did so we'll see but if you're dumb enough to give up i mean if you're dumb enough to sign up to a company that says hey we want all your data like, you don't know what all your data is, really. I don't think the average person understands what all their data is and how many, how widespread that actually, what what kind of coverage that entails, I should say. It's immense. But they've already got it. Anyhow. Like, third-party data is a real thing. It's information you get from other sources about users. <clears throat> third-party cookie tracking is exactly that it is taking a user that appears on your website and follows them around their journey until they get back to your website and all that's trackable and if you think for a minute that facebook doesn't take your ids doesn't store your photos and your videos then you are delusional so this app to me this study app that they're launching is nothing more than a nice little PR move. What it is more than anything is disturbing because some people are going to sign up for it. I don't think the adoption rate will be very high, but I've been wrong before and I will be wrong again. And I could be wrong about this. Who knows? But with their credibility of how they use your data, if you think that they don't have it already, you're mental and why would you want to be aligned with a company any more than you already are, which is, you know, a tremendous amount because I'm presuming the, the majority of the listeners out there have a Facebook account, probably have an Instagram account, most probably have a WhatsApp account. And those are just the top three. So... Aligning with a company that has had multiple occurrences of giving away data, selling data, leaking data, losing data on its users, 
self you know admitted by the founder himself that they're not doing enough about privacy he made that joke in a speech which went down like a sack of lead balloons we're not doing we've, we haven't been doing very well on privacy it's been reported <laughs> whatever the fuck he said he looks more like data from star trek than a real human being and I guess there's dissension in the ranks of Facebook anyhow about his leadership. But the problem is he's got majority stake and he's not giving it up. Not anytime, sh not anytime soon. But I have realized how much of a cesspool Twitter is because when you spend your time on Facebook predominantly or Instagram predominantly, like Instagram's probably my number one, uh, you, you kind of forget. I use Twitter sporadically. But if you dive into any of these threads... Whew. It is just the worst of the worst. <clears throat> I mean, the only thing worse is YouTube comments, right? That's the only thing worse than a than a Twitter feed, than a Twitter thread, I should say. <clears throat> but Instagram's my number one, and I like Instagram, except for the adverts, of course, because they're every five pictures is an advert, and it doesn't matter if you click hide this ad. And then it gives you three reasons why you want to hide the ad. It's not relevant. I see it too much or it's inappropriate. And I always click it's not relevant because I know they're going to serve me with another one no matter what. But that's the quickest way to get rid of it. And if it's good, I'll just leave it there. But in the past week, I've probably had to click like for four or five different adverts. I've probably had to do that process of getting rid of them five times before they actually stop showing up. And all that is, is called a frequency cap. That's a frequency cap. How many times do you want a certain user to see your profile in a specifically determined amount of time? And apparently for some of these companies, the number is five. But Instagram's still my favorite one. But they're siphoning in all my photos. There was a controversy over their T's and C's. Um, you know, what was about 18 months ago, two years ago now? I don't know. Time's flying. But these places are all the same. And especially Instagram because it's owned by Facebook. But Twitter's no different. We've talked about it before and I'm not going to go into it. But, you know, it is what it is. I just think it's hilarious that they've launched, they're launching this app called Study. Like they pretend they're doing a good thing now. We're not going to take your data anymore. We're going to give you the opportunity to make money off of your data. Get fucked. It's such a load of shit. So anyways, that's enough about that. Um, there is a huge, I don't know which side of the pond to stop, like kind of start with on this. Like, do we go to America and all the shit that's happening there? Or do we stay here in the UK and talk about all the shit that's happening here? We'll probably talk about the UK first because it's nice and quick. It's just a, it's just a general recap on the incompetence running through our politics. I mean, if you look at the field, which does not matter because the clear corruption in in our government and in politics in general in this country is not as overt as it is in, as it is in America, but it is very much the same, you know, what do you want to call it? Same shit, different pile, basically. It's elitists that are in a very select club that get to control everything and get away with whatever they want. Which is why the Tory leadership is a bit of a farce. Uh, the, the race to determine who the next 
unelected prime minister will be, because that's what it's going to be. It's going to be 120,000, 127,000 MPs that are voting on this leadership race. Not the public. The public doesn't determine. And there's a real problem for me with that, because in the running, you've got Boris Johnson, who's a liar. And I'm going to play a clip in just a moment from Owen Jones that was on, I think he was on BBC or Sky News, talking about the things that aren't being said about Boris Johnson, who is likely to be the next prime minister of this country, who is a bumbling idiot, who is an incompetent in the grand scheme of his official duty. We've seen it already, right? His lack of tact would be an understatement. Um, you know, just his follies, his reprehensible behavior, his ignorance and and kind of just disregard for anything other than what's happening in the very, very immediate sphere of Boris Johnson. Uh, was he a good mayor of London? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. In, in, in a few ways he was. But we've seen him be removed from two positions for being a liar. You know, we've seen him unable to negotiate on the international platform. We've seen him come unprepared. And I don't want to ramble because I'll probably just be taking a lot of stuff that I heard in the very, very well articulated statement that Owen Jones made on the television the other night. And I just want to, I'm going to play that in a minute. But the point is, we have him as the leader, right? He's the leader in this race. He's the favorite in this race. He has since she announced she was going to retire which, or resign, which is hilarious because I watched her in the PMQs this morning. And if she's not the prime minister, then what is she? And who the fuck are these people asking questions to? There's no policy making happening there. There's no debate to be had with Theresa May. She has no power. Well, she's going to, now she's not going to resign. She's going to be the PM for a little, oh, I, I, I'll just wait. I'll just wait until this Boris Johnson thing gets figured out. Yeah, we'll make a nice, easy transition. Make everything look nice and shiny. Get out of here. Like, the jig is up. For a lot of people, the jig is up. We get this. We understand what's going on here. This is nothing but a boys club. This is an elitist club of nonsense, of, 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 I shouldn't say nonsense, it's power. It's power. And if not Boris, who? Savid? Well, he's a liar. Just on the cannabis situation, he's a liar. So he's discredited for me just off of that. Who are you going to, Michael Gove? I mean, come on. Michael Gove is... Not that I give a shit, but an admitted cokehead, like it's something, like some, some revelation that most people have done class A drugs. Like if you think that these politicians are squeaky clean, like I don't know where you live. Michael Gove did coke? Yeah, and what else did he do? <laughs> like, he's like, oh, you know, I really regret that. Yeah, because that's the worst. That's the worst, dirtiest thing you've done coming through the ranks of politics, coming through the ranks of your elite kind of fucking boarding school. Get out of here. And who's the other one? McVeigh or whatever her name is? I mean, I don't even know what these candidates are called. What, she's a pothead all of a sudden? Yeah, I smoked weed. These people wouldn't be admitting this stuff. This is like, this is our acceptance of, of drugs that's allowing them to come out and show that they were also degenerate. This is not relatable. Don't act like you're trying to relate to us. 
<coughs> it's ridiculous to me. So you've got Michael Gove. I mean, just a joke. Look at him. McVeigh or whatever her name is. I mean, I've seen her on interviews. We've talked about her before. Not a chance in hell does she have any, any leadership qualities that I can see. I, and I don't mean to be harsh, but it's true. Um, you got Jeremy Hunt. People can't even say his name right. You know, he's such a wet blanket. I wouldn't expect a decisive move from Jeremy Hunt if he was to get into power ever. And let's remember, there should be a general election. When you replace, an, well, I mean, she was elected the second time in a minority under a coalition government, but she came into power as an unelected, uh, an unelected prime minister. She was appointed, like Boris Johnson is going to be appointed by people who are not the citizenry of this country. There is a fundamental problem, a fundamental problem with democracy if it is if it if it is allowed to be carried out like this. There is a fundamental breakdown of how democracy should work if you can choose a leader with such a small portion of a single party. It just can't happen. So I think that the first thing Boris Johnson should do is call a general election. But he won't do that because he knows he'll lose. The country doesn't feel the way he feels. I mean, they may swing back, like we said in the previous show, because he says we're delivering Brexit straight. So that effectively, and this is this is this is the setup, right? You got Nigel Farage and Boris Johnson. Going out there telling lies about what's going to happen if we go forward with Brexit, which sounds great to a lot of, you know, downtrodden or Middle England type of people, right? Because that's who voted for this. That's who voted for this. So they promised them we're going to get 350 million back from the NHS. We're going to stop migrants taking your jobs. You know, all of this sort of thing is really appealing to this sort of voter. And then Boris Johnson ducks out. And then Nigel Farage, the day after Brexit, says, no, nah, we're not getting that money back. And then they disappear. Boris Johnson fumbles around as the foreign secretary for a bit before getting ousted. Right? Doing some other bits and bobs before he was foreign secretary that he got fired for. And Nigel Farage disappears. Only to reemerge as the leader of this newly formed Brexit party. While all of this Brexit chaos that they started is tearing down the leadership in the Conservative Party. When it's untenable, Theresa May has to go. And who rises out of the ashes but the fumbling, bumbling Boris Johnson. Ready to take the helm. Ready to lead us into our prosperous future. So he's going to crash us out on the 31st of October this year because it is doubtful that the EU are going to negotiate on any of these points. And there'll be a fumble and there'll be a strumble and whatever, whatever, whatever. And if we come crashing out of Brexit, the IMF has said, well, that will downgrade Britain's economy to the point of recession. Or an economy that is already contracted by almost half a percent in the last, I think it was quarter, the economic report said. 
And so leaving there with a South Korean trade deal and a Norwegian trade deal and whatever, and, and a, you know, a figment of some <coughs> trade deal with America, <coughs> pardon me, that's going to make this thing all better, we're going to be fine. There was one of the women who was running for the leadership of the Tory party said, don't expect any job losses on live television. Are you crazy? Did you not just hear the announcement that the Ford plant in South End is going to close 1,500 jobs? Did you not just hear that the Arcadia Group might go into administration? God knows how many jobs. We could keep going. You don't think with the activity of businesses leaving this country over the past, I don't know, let's call it year and a half. That there won't be any, are you talking there haven't been any or there won't be any more after the 30, 31st of October? Making such an outlandish statement means you're unqualified to be in the job, disqualifies you from running. See you, nerd. Beat it. This is this is how I feel about these people. Savage Javid, you lied on the issue of medical cannabis. There are hundreds of thousands of children in this country suffering because of your failed action. Because if you're in action, see ya, disqualifies you, beat it. Boris Johnson, you got fired twice for being a dishonest, um, for making up statements, making up quotes. You are a terrible negotiator. Your colleagues call you unprepared and embarrassed. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play the Owen Smith clip now. Disqualified, see you later. Oh, there's nobody else that's viable? Oh, you want to talk about the, the guy who's probably most fit for the job from a... From a policy point of view, Rory Stewart is is some people's man. Not mine personally. If I was Donald Trump in this race, he'd be labeled Wandering Rory. Because this guy's social media is like a man with no friends. He's wandering around various towns in the country trying to have on-the-street conversations with the people to find out what they want. The latest installment, he approached three black men in Brick Lane. They didn't have a clue who the fuck he was. He had to tell them, in fact, he was running for, for uh, the prime minister position. He tried to strike up a conversation only to be cut off by saying, I don't fuck with politics, bro. <laughs> While the three men, waving some sort of hand signs, wandered off into the distance, leaving Rory Stewart, again, a man with no friends, wandering around this country. It was really absurd to see the collection of videos that he's put out Lewisham Market, Borough Market, you know, Blackpool, wherever he's been, and nobody's around. Nobody's around. And that tells you his chance of becoming the leader of this country, which takes us back to Boris Johnson, who officially announced it today. Okay? So, as we have no viable candidates, and as the other candidates probably don't really matter in the grand scheme of things, because apparently the behind-the-scenes working of Boris Johnson have been going on for quite some time, and as I outlined, if this wasn't his grand scheme of things by doing the by perpetrating the lies about what Brexit was going to deliver back to the people of this country, if that wasn't a grand scheme of his to circle back, then he's got the greatest luck in the world, because he's done almost nothing to deserve this position, and his behavior have all the reasons within them as to why he should not be. So, without further ado, I could say all I want, but I think in this short clip, which is 
<clears throat> one minute and 42 seconds. It is said better than I've heard it say about Boris Johnson specifically. So I'm going to introduce to you guys that haven't heard him before, Owen Jones. He's a young man who is a columnist. He is a, you know, think radio host. He's, you know, he's a media personality. Um, I don't have a ton of experience with him, but on this point, we are aligned exactly. So I'm going to pass it. I'm going to pass it, pass it. I'm going to pass it over to him. I think he's got every chance of winning. And I have to say, you know, one of the, I, I'm afraid, big faults at the moment in this, in this whole debate is the lack of scrutiny of Boris Johnson, who is very likely to become the prime minister of this country in a matter of weeks. Why, why aren't we asking, uh, does he still think that gay people should be called bum boys? Does he still think that equal marriage should be compared to, two men, uh, to three men marrying a dog? Does he still believe that black people should be called pickaninnies with watermelon smiles? Does he still think that it's acceptable to compare Muslim women to bank robbers and to letterboxes? Why should we trust somebody who was sacked twice for dishonesty, once by his newspaper and once by a conservative leader? Is somebody who once conspired with a criminal friend to beat up a journalist fit for high office? Is somebody who wrote one column supporting Remain and another column supporting Leave? Is that somebody who's driven by anything else other than his own career. We're not talking about these discussions. And I could go on, by the way, the fact that senior conservative aides say that uh, when they, he was in meetings, he couldn't concentrate, he wasn't briefed, he was, uh, he was an embarrassment, one of them said. One career diplomat described serving under him as foreign secretary is the only time he was embarrassed to represent his own country. But we're not having this discussion because all too often, I'm afraid to say, and I speak as somebody who has worked in the British media now for the best part of a decade, Boris Johnson is treated as a bit of a circus, a bit of a joke, a bit of a laugh, but he is somebody who has peddled racism, he's serially dishonest, he's a charlatan, but we're not having that conversation because, again, and it's worth emphasising this, if you are from a posh background, you can more or less get away with anything in this country. And that is about as articulate as you can put it. Now, I don't know how the audio came through on that. <coughs> if for some reason it hasn't come through, just go to Owen Jones's Twitter page, or you can go to ours. We tweeted it out a little while ago, but it's Owen Jones 84 uh, on Twitter. And again, you can hit it up on our page at Quiet Part Loud uh, for, uh, for when we retweeted it. Uh, earlier earlier today but it is bang on the money and it really does show the dysfunction of british politics so i just wanted to really play that because nobody's said it that succinctly and the media that you guys are all watching and that most people watch won't cover it that way they'll give him his voice for that second but unless you listen to owen jones you're probably not going to hear this a lot because the media will just take it for what it is and that's a one minute and 49 second clip but it's worth sharing and it's worth keeping in the ethos and keeping it front of mind because this is going to be most likely the person that is leading us in the next couple of weeks and taking us into the future. And if we're no, if we recognize anything about the mess that is the Trump administration and the way politics has been divided and the society has been divided in America during this administration, if that's anything to learn from, it is, if there's anything to learn from that, it is that you do not want a bumbling idiot who at heart is a racist elitist 
running your country because bad things happen. So let's all be aware and let's all, let's all talk about that a little bit more. But that's all I'm going to say on the British stuff. Other than the fact <coughs> that we've been set now targets of becoming a net zero carbon country by 2050. 31 years or just over 30 years. And we're supposed to be net zero in emissions. Which means everything's got to run renewable. Solar, nuclear, whatever, right? Wind. So if you're not investing in those industries, now would be the time to do so. Um, I personally, I mean, I know the, the kind of scientific community has said, you know, 2050 is our tipping point. And that's just like government policy to say, well, you know, we'll, 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 get it on, we'll get it on the deadline. We'll get in there right. We'll squeeze in there right before the deadline. You know, it's like the fucking, it's the way you used to study at school. You cram the night before. And just deliver something half-assed at the end of the day. This needs real planning. We need to get to work on this now. We haven't even hit 80% uh, reduction thresholds. And they're already in place. We're supposed to be working towards that now. We're way off. We're way off. And you want to go completely like net zero by 2050? Good luck. I don't have faith in people that to get things done. Not with, the, not with the things that we were just talking about in regards to the future leadership of this country, the imminent future leadership of this country. Climate change, renewable energy. If there's money in it for them, sure. Which there is, so maybe. But it ain't going to happen fast enough. You can bet your ass on that because nothing does. Nothing does. We're not going to be able to put in some sweeping bill, you know, allocating this amount of resource to the R&D development, to the incubation process of, you know, developing startup companies that specialize in this area of climate change. If you look at any of the quote unquote hot startup companies in London, right? London was just named the uh, unicorn tech developer of, um, of Europe. If you look at all the hot startup companies in 2019 on you know, on places like Gizmodo and Wired and, and, and different websites like this, what you're going to find is that most of them have to do with finance, banking, lending, microloans, information processing, document saving, things like that. And I just think like, what's, because like, London is an economic hub. And there's, a, there's tech innovation that happens here, sure. But I just wonder how that incubation stage of this process is going to be nurtured because we need to go full hog onto this but that takes a lot more than taxing the citizenry for driving petrol cars you have to go to the manufacturers and say no we want all electric cars coming out of your factory in seven years if not this is how we're going to tax you we're going to call it a carbon tax. We're not going to default that back to the citizens because they have no choice other than to buy your gas-guzzling cars or your petrol-burning cars, your combustion engine cars. You need to step up the R&D. You're the one that have got the government subsidies for decades and decades and decades. You're the one that's been on the forefront of technology. 
the forefront of R&D, the forefront of research in this area. So you come up with the goddamn answers. Tesla are releasing, have released their patents for free to the industry. Take them and go with it. You've got seven years. If not, the taxes on your products goes up by 20% or something like that. As much as I hate Trump, there is something in taxing, right? If you tax somebody, if you're on the right side of that, if it's done correctly, I'm not saying do this with your allies, but if you do it with industry, you can have a positive impact. Uh, people will be like, oh yeah, well they'll just fucking leave and go somewhere else. That's why this is a global problem. Companies should not be able to disappear from your economy, go set up shops somewhere else, just because they're not behind climate change. Trump's doing the other thing. He's deregulating shit so people can come back. That's not the way you do this. This has to be a global initiative. But I guess we're in line with what scientists are saying, but I just don't like the fact that we are like we are we are rushing to deliver this at the finish line and not sooner. <clears throat> it doesn't give me the greatest level of confidence if I'm honest. Anyways, Speaking of Trump, going to that side of the pond, so much has happened in the last week since we've been on, and uh, and I thought it was worth getting into the latest. So, um, oh, I, I tell you what, the first thing I want to mention is, if you haven't seen the footage of Jon Stewart, if you don't know who Jon Stewart is, he used to host The Daily Show, he's been in movies, made movies... And it's just generally, you know, seems to be a seems to be a good guy that works for other people. Um, and most recently, he's been—I mean, not most recently, but for a long time now—he's been working with 9/11 responders and helping them to get some sort of compensation from the government in regards to the. Okay, so so what it is is he works with 9/11 responders policemen, firemen, etc., emergency services, the people who were on the scene in, in like the minute 9-11 happened. First one's down there. Well, if you don't know, a lot of those people stayed for weeks right down there at Ground Zero, working to move rubble, to save people, to find people, to re like to remove dead bodies, to, you know, articles of, of, uh, of possession, that some of the victims had, you know, they were down on the ground, literally ground zero, working their asses off because that was what they're called to duty to do. And as we now know, all these years on, the air that they were breathing for hours and hours and hours consumed by, covered in, I mean, you saw the pictures. You can remember them vividly, I'm sure. Well, these are people now that are getting lung cancer and, you know, different illnesses, getting really, really sick, dying. And these are firemen who haven't been able to work because it's not like these issues just appeared overnight. They've been ongoing for the last, you know, better part of two decades. And now, you know, they're not able to work. They're not able to pay for their own insurance. There's no national health service in America, as we well know. And what the what John Oliver is, or John Oliver, what John Stewart is, is lobbying for them uh, for is 
free healthcare. Free healthcare compensation for services rendered, for sacrifices made, for hardships suffered, you know? It's the least we could do. But my point of bringing this up is he was in front of the, I think the House Appropriations Committee or something last, uh, might have been a week, a couple days ago now. Uh, he, he gives a pretty emotional opening statement where on multiple occasions he tears up, you know, and has to, has to pause. But it's one of the things that I wanted to mention because it is, it is a piece of content that's actually worth spending 10 minutes listening to. Just like the Owen Smith or the Owen, Owen Jones uh, clip that I just played for you about Boris Johnson. This is one that John Oliver delivers equally as impassioned, equally as accurate, equally as succinct. Drenched in, 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 in pain and firsthand knowledge of what these people are suffering through because he's been so close to it. And he gives this impassioned speech to an empty room because none of the people in government have, have even bothered to show up. They haven't even taken the time to come and answer questions. And to me, that is a real, real sign of the times. You know, sort of out of sight, out of mind. We'll deal with that later. It's how Trump deals with things. Says something, discredits it, see it, move on to the next thing. Out of sight, out of mind. We dealt with that already, gone. And this is prevalent throughout government, but it's, it is not more evident than what you hear the leader of, the how, of, of that committee, you know, and one of the main Republicans, one of the top Republicans in the company, country, Mitch McConnell, when asked about it in an interview afterwards, said, oh, I thought we took care of that. We'll have to look into that. You know, it sounds like a fucking turtle, a slow old turtle. I didn't know we hadn't addressed that yet. Maybe we'll have to look into it. <laughs> you know, he's a proper goober. An old goober. And he has no idea. I mean, this is not something that should even take a minute to sort out. It should be unanimous that if you are a service member or a person who was on the ground assisting during 9-11 and suffered health consequences as a result of your efforts to try to save other people, you should be good to go. It's the same with the Veterans Association, right? Veterans Association should be fully funded. Fully funded. Every military personnel should be given a house, a place to live, where their family can come back together when they get home should be mandatory. So should a job and a reintegration program back into society. But America doesn't think like this, at least not the functioning government or the dysfunctional government, I should say. But if you haven't seen the clip of Jon Stewart uh, speaking on behalf of these 9-11 responders, it is most certainly a piece of content you need to uh, take 10 minutes out and watch. Um, if you've been, if you've been living under a rock or are just not 
Oh, and I hate even saying it, not interested in politics and can't be bothered with politics, then maybe you haven't seen the coverage of the House Judiciary Committee uh, asking questions to lawyers about the, the Robert Mueller report on the Trump investigation. It's four hours long, and I've successfully gotten through two hours of it. But as you would imagine with a piece of content that's that long, you got to put it down, come back to it. So I put it down, I've come back to it. And now YouTube won't let me play it for some reason. And I've tried three different sources. I've tried CNN, I've tried Fox News, and I've tried uh, CBS. All of them take me to the place where I was up to previously. But then I had to find a different source. So I started watching ABC and I watched an hour of it. And then I came back to it today to try to watch it from where I'd left off. But the ABC file wouldn't play. It would load, show me a screen, and then flip out and play the next video automatically. So then I went over to Fox and it allowed me to watch 15 minutes of content and then did exactly the same thing. And I came out and I went back in and it loaded and it kicked me out. And then I went over to my other source. I went to CNN. Was it CNN or Fo no? CNN was the first one. Then I ended up watching it on Fox News, and I watched about probably 45, 50 more minutes of it on that, and it did the same thing. And I've not been able to find another source of the full hearing that actually works on YouTube. So if you want to share one of those on our Twitter feed with us, that would be amazing uh, because I'm keen to get the last two hours because what is abundantly apparent if you listen to even five minutes of question time well you'd have to listen to 10 because they're in five minute increments for each senator uh <coughs> is that the democrats are reading from the report and getting the professional legal opinion of the lawyers on the panel minus the one that doesn't really feel like trump uh did obstruct justice but the other three i think or four that are there absolutely do and state in critical minutia, but very plain terms. Like they go into the details of it, but it's very easy to understand what's going on, what has transpired and why this is a crime. They're making it. And I think that's probably a concerted effort because for those of, you know, it's a four hour piece of uh, content, right? So it's a four hour hearing, but all of the different, news channels are going to chop this on their YouTube pages, put it out on their social platforms, Twitter, etc., as bite-sized pieces. They're not going to give you the whole thing. But I think it was a concerted effort by the lawyers to give the information in this way that is easily digested by the average person for that exact reason. They knew it was going to be chopped up. So even if they take sound bites out of it, you're going to get some good clear, concise information. And the information that's coming out of the hearing is, I mean, it's pretty damning. I mean, if there is not a clear obstruction of justice case here, I don't know what one looks like. And we have stated on this show, they decided that there was no collusion. And the reason that they decided no collusion was, well, the reason that they decided there, there was no collusion is because the people around Trump wouldn't do it for him. They knew better. Or they didn't know better, but they just didn't do it. And they actually saved him. Because it's not collusion. And that's the thing that gets banded around. Collusion. No collusion. No collusion. No collusion. Collusion is not a legal term. 
conspiracy is, and they couldn't prove a conspiracy. Because either the people in the Trump administration were too dumb, too inefficient and ineffective, or the people that could just didn't because they knew better. And that falls more on the obstruction line. It's more the incompetency on the on the conspiracy line. Like they had meetings with Russian officials. They forgot to reply to emails or they put the wrong email address in when trying to respond and never followed up. Like things like this are the reason that conspiracy is not on the table. But obstruction of justice is most notably uh, present in the part two of the Mueller report based on the conversation that Trump had with his then White House lawyer when he asked him to remove Mueller from the investigation because he was compromised. And then when the lawyer refused to do that and when he was announcing his resignation, he, Trump, asked the lawyer, and this is uh, Don McGahn, asked the lawyer to write a letter on the record for their White House files, for Trump's files, that said explicitly Trump did not ask Don McGahn to remove Robert Mueller. And Don McGahn refused to do that. That is obstruction. But not in the clearest sense of the word, right? Because it's actually attempted obstruction. Obstruction would be if Don McGahn did that. <clears throat> but then Don McGahn would be able to be impeached as well. And he knew better. So he didn't do it. But the attempt at obstruction is prosecutable the same way obstruction is. Because that's the entire thing. You have an intent to do something. So just because you weren't successful in it through a third party or a mediary doesn't mean you're not culpable for that crime. And I think that is probably the most glaring uh, example of, of, of obstruction. But Mueller lays out 10 examples. What you see from the Republican side is they've taken the opportunity to... Uh, basically bring up, what's his name? John Dean, I think it is. I think his name's John Dean. Uh, he was basically the guy who flipped on Richard Nixon during Watergate and became state's witness. And there were recordings of him and there's recordings of Nixon trying to see if he could get him a pardon. And this all led to the Saturday Night Massacre. Um, you know, which was ultimately the downfall of Nixon. So he's being brought in there because he's got a long history and career of not only being in, in you know, high political office as a lawyer, but he's also written numerous books on this and other presidents who have been impeached or should be impeached, etc. But when you see the flipping of the table, so the Democrats, I said, are reading from the Mueller report, specific quotes, quotes. What does this mean, lawyer? What does this mean, lawyer? Quote, 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 that sort of thing. And then you just get the other side, which I believe are committing slow suicide at the moment by sticking with Donald Trump and doing irreparable damage to their party, ultimately. Um, is they're just trying to talk him down. They're trying to discredit him. They're trying to speak over the lawyers. They're just using their five minutes to make a statement rather than inquiring about the facts. And some of the statements are, well, you know, don't look that way. Look at this. Or or that's not bad, but that may be not great. But what about this over here, right? They're doing the old kind of bait and switch and the, and the you know, the, the sleight of hand movement. Like, don't, don't look there, look there. And, oh, I've moved the thing, right? They kind of move the goalposts, as it were. Um, 
But they always come back to the Pfizer reports and the Hillary Clinton emails and, you know, um, how this whole uh, investigation started. It's a big conspiracy. And, you know, they use this as like one guy uh, who's uh, what's his name? Congressman Gates or something like that. I mean, this guy is a first class piece of shit. You know, he's, he's sitting there being an arrogant fuck to this old man who's got more experience in his baby finger than this guy's got in his entire body. He's going on this just, you know, diatribe about how uh, how incompetent this process is and how, uh, like, how unnecessary it is and how it's not going to reveal anything and how come we're not asking this question about Hillary Clinton, this question about Hillary It's like, okay, that's all fine. You can investigate that. You can do whatever you want, but... The fact of the matter is, there's been 37 indictments from this investigation, multiple convictions, multiple guilty pleas, and we're getting closer and closer to what looks like a, you know, an impeachment of a president. There's definite smoke here. I, I, I would say that, you know, this is more than just ambers flickering dark. This is, there's some flames here, man. And Trump's going trying to create diversion tactics and, you know, he's, I got a special deal from Mexico. It's like, no, you didn't, motherfucker. Most of those details were done months ago. You're talking nonsense. They're supposed to come into effect now. But that's what he's doing. He's baiting and switching. There's not a problem. Oh, look, I, oh, there, there isn't a problem, but I'll create a problem. And then I'll pretend to solve that problem, which I created. So it looks like I can problem solve. That's what this is. And then he does an interview where he pulls out a piece of paper and the paper's blank. You can tell the paper's blank. At least, it, at least it looked that way from the TV that I was watching. And I got a 4K TV, so the resolution's pretty good. It looked like there was nothing on that one pager that he said was the secret details about the Mexican deal, which he's just waiting for them to release when they want to. Like, fuck off, mate. And then you get polls. And this is this is kind of completely unproductive, right? Is I see a post on Twitter about polls where... All of the top 10 Democratic candidates outpoll Trump right now by like five points. And I'm just like, I'm just thinking to myself, well, they said Donald Trump only had a 30% chance of beating Hillary Clinton like a couple of weeks before the election happened. And look how that turned out. I don't know who fills in polls. I really don't. I also know that they're not very reliable as we're as we're living through right now, because if they were reliable, the 30% chance probably wouldn't have happened because it's 30%. So I don't listen to polls. And I think the Democrats and the liberals and whoever's on the other side of wherever Trump stands need to take little to no comfort in any poll numbers they see. Because Without you getting off of your ass and going to the ballot box to vote this guy out of office, there is a very good chance he can beat any of your any of the candidates you're going to put up on the Democratic side. Just in a straight fist fight. You know, and by fist fight, obviously, I mean, you know, like a political fist fight. The type of shit that he does now. Like 1% Joe. He wasn't doing very well until, uh, oh, until he kind of, you know, sacked up with Obama. You know. Crying Chuck Schumer. He's going to name call him. Nobody does name callings like Trump because it's his default position. Other people have more. They have more professional conduct. They have more, you know, tact about their behavior. They have a bit of decorum. Yeah, maybe that's the right word for this. 
Trump doesn't have any decorum. He's a bully, he's an ignoramus, he's a shit talker, and he doesn't care what the consequences are as long as he's okay. And what you're seeing right now is a man that knows there's something nipping at his heels, and he's just trying to stay ahead of it by creating as much diversion uh, as possible and hoping that he stays true with his base by delivering on some of the bullshit campaign promises, trying to fool them with bullshit information to get himself another four years. And I'm telling you right now, if we get this man for another four years, and I say this all the time, this is not just about America. This is about the world. Look at the effect negatively he's having all over the world. Look what he did when he came over here. <coughs> talking about giving, taking our NHS, talking about Ireland as part of the UK and suggesting that you know they have similar border problems as the US is having. You know, their border and your wall and it, like the Irish prime minister had to shoot it down immediately and say, listen, the last thing that we want is a border wall. Have you ever heard of the IRA, Mr. Trump, you ignorant bastard? It was really disgraceful stuff. And the fact that he doesn't know that without being prepped is a joke. You see, I said it before, but we don't go after Trump about the way he looks. We go... As Martin Luther King said, can we judge a man by the content of his character? Just once, can we do that with Donald Trump? Because the moment we do will be a moment that the fog clears and we understand what kind of a heretic we're dealing with. What kind of a racist, bigoted mind we're dealing with. What a, what a heartless soul you're dealing with. What a megalomaniac is in power right now and how quickly that needs to be snatched away from him. Because he is not doing anything for America. And again, points we've made previously. But I'm not here to go into, you know, all of Donald Trump's fallacies, uh, you know, faults and the things that he said that are not true because we'll be here all day. All I'm saying is that people need to take action. We need to take action about Boris Johnson and ask the questions that Owen Jones has pointed us to and pointed out so poignantly. We need to take action on protecting the most downtrodden citizens in our society. Those that step out and do heroes work because it's what they signed up to do, we need to look after them. People need to be taken care of and if they're not, they will result to the worst behavior of survival. And we don't want to make anybody desperate. We don't have to. We're too rich of a world for anybody to be suffering. But it's greed and it's politics and it's lying that continues. And we need to put a stop to it. So take action. Speak your mind. Be a voice. Pick a side and go for it. And I'm not saying pick a side as being, you know, hate your neighbor and, you know, fucking... Hotel Rwanda people. I'm not talking about that sort of pick a side. I'm just saying, look at the situation sensibly and decide what what side of history do you want to be on? Do you want to be thought as by your children as the person that aligned with someone who created the chaos of Brexit or the chaos of foreign relations and social division like Donald Trump? I'm not either party. I'm not either party. I don't want to be identified as a party. I want to be identified as someone who aligns with politicians that are willing to step up against the grain of what normal politics is and do the right thing. 
Everybody claims to do that and almost nobody does. Keep your eye out for the workers. Keep your eye out for the people that give a shit. Give, keep an eye out for the people that, that sacrifice for others, truly sacrifice for others. Those are the people to align with. And on that note, I think we're done. We've literally hit an hour. And I always said we're going to, from now on, going to keep it an hour or under, generally 45 minutes. But we had a lot of, a lot of stuff to talk about today. So um, we're going to sign off, but we've, we, we have covered quite a bit of stuff. Got a little animated there, but that's how it goes sometimes. And you need to keep your eyes on the game right now. And the game is politics. Because it's unfolding. It's unfolding before us. And what we are coming to is a, is a precipice, right? The cresting of a wave. Which way are we going to turn at this crossroads? We're either going to go down the right side or we're going to go down the wrong side. But ultimately, it's our decision to make. And, and, and people specifically in the UK, you should not stand to be run, to have your country run by a person that you did not elect. That should not be part of the process. If a prime minister resigns, they should do a general election and a coalition government should be put together as an interim solution until proper results can be figured out. But what we've got in the UK right now is a goddamn farce. And I hope you'll stand up and say so, as I have, as Owen Jones has, as more and more people are coming to do. So with that, we are over an hour. We are wrapping episode 94 of the Quiet Part Loud podcast. I'm Daryl. I have been your host. It has been great talking to you, talking with you, if you've been talking back. Uh, hit us up on Twitter. That's at the Quiet Part Loud. Uh, download this on SoundCloud. Download this on iTunes. Subscribe, rate us. We want, you, we want your feedback, guys. We want to hear from you. All that stuff helps. And all the extra listens are so appreciated, guys. We've seen these spikes now happen, and we just want to keep it going. So let us know what we're doing right. Let us know what you want us to get rid of. I'm thinking about segments in the show. Guests are, I'm talking to guests. I'm trying to work that stuff out. Um, and we're bringing you more content soon. So <coughs> stay tuned for that. We'll be back next week. This will be out Thursday morning for you guys. And uh, and we're going to keep pushing towards 100. And then who knows where we go from there. So thank you again for listening, guys. My name's Daryl. This is the Quiet Part Loud podcast, episode 94. And until next time, all the best. <laughs>